pray with me? God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The story of Moses is one of the longest biblical narratives. God called Moses to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt and lead them to the promised land. But the journey from Egypt to the promised land was long and difficult. It lasted 40 years. And at the end of it, Moses himself did not get to enter the promised land. Our scripture passage today tells the story of that moment when Moses climbs up to the mountaintop and looks over the promised land. He looks and the Bible says God showed him the whole land and God said to Moses, this is the land of which I promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes but you shall not cross over there. And then Moses died. I wonder what it meant to Moses to see the promised land with his own eyes. We can't know for sure. There was another man of God, another man who led many people out of oppression. And like Moses, Martin Luther King Jr., felt that he had been to the mountaintop and seen the promised land. He spoke about it this way. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't really matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people, we'll get to the promised land. We know, of course, that Martin Luther King Jr. spoke these words the night before he was assassinated. The Israelites journeyed in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. Longer than Martin Luther King Jr. lived. Not as long as the years from his death to today. And though King said that he had seen the promised land, we have still not arrived at the promised land. We know this. Specifically, African Americans in the US have not reached the promised land of equality and justice. This year has brought all too much evidence, overwhelming evidence, that there is not justice for African Americans in the US today. Just three weeks ago, an Ohio grand jury decided that the officers who killed a 12-year-old 
Tamir Rice for playing with a toy gun would not face any criminal charges. Even though multiple examinations of the case showed failures on the part of these officers, even though one of those officers had been labeled as unstable by his department prior to the fatal shooting. Last month, a Texas grand jury decided not to indict anyone in the death of Sandra Bland in a Texas jail cell, despite the questions of excessive force, suspicious circumstances, and the role of race in Bland's arrest. We have seen cases in Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore, Maryland that expose decades-long patterns of unfair treatment of African Americans by law enforcement officers and the criminal justice system. The systematic and repeated rapes of African American women by a police officer in Oklahoma City have, gone strange, have gotten strangely little media coverage. The list goes on and on. It should go without saying that naming the truth of police discrimination and abuse of power does not negate the good work of many, probably most, law enforcement officers, nor negate our gratitude for the role of good policing in producing safe communities. It should go without saying, but unfortunately, we have heard too many voices in the public sphere over the last year and more who refuse to acknowledge the problem and avoid looking at it by rushing to remind us of all the good and important work law enforcement does. We know this, but this is not a reason to avoid confronting wrongdoing and systemic racist practices when those take place. The picture is bleak. The picture of today's reality begs the question of whether black lives matter in this country which is why it is so important to say out loud and explicitly that black lives matter. Knowing that King did not live to see the promised land, knowing that King did not live to see what these last four plus decades would hold, Bishop Woody White writes an annual birthday letter to Dr. King. Bishop White is a United Methodist Bishop African-American, retired now. This year, this week, Bishop White opens his letter this way. Dear Martin, I wish this birthday letter might be more positive than the one I wrote last year. It is not. Our nation's racial climate has gotten worse rather than better. A political rhetoric of divisive and hate-filled speech pollutes the atmosphere. To our struggle against racism and its negative impact on American life and legacy is added growing xenophobia, nativism, and even religious intolerance. Sadly, too many of our political leaders and would-be leaders are exploiting fears, prejudices, and insecurities in the face of increased worldwide terrorism. Bishop White continues, I was hopeful that the emergence of the idea Black Lives Matter might elevate both the conversation and the consciousness 
in our quest to address ongoing issues of race in America. The recent rash of deaths of unarmed young black men in encounters with police provides the opportunity for renewed and serious engagement of our unfinished work as a nation. Perhaps to many in our nation, black and white, black lives really don't matter. This is unacceptable for this nation and its people. It is especially unacceptable for people of a faith with te which teaches its young to sing red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Some of you may have grown up with that song. This leads me to my great disappointment, the near silence of churches in the recent racial discourse. I wait for some outcry of moral indignation at the racial climate in this country, some ethical compass for political and civic leaders, some call for racial unity, some serious challenge to the voices of hate. Martin, I continue to read and appreciate your letter from a Birmingham jail, penned from your cell on April 16th, 1963. I believe it was your finest composition. You challenged church leaders of that day to confront the racial context in which they found themselves with more boldness and consistency. While I write today with disappointment, it is not without hope. Our friend and courageous leader, the Reverend William Sloan Coffin, wrote in 1994, hope is a state of mind independent of the state of the world. So if your heart's full of hope, you can be persistent when you can't be optimistic. You can keep the faith despite the evidence knowing that only in so doing has the evidence any chance of changing. So while I am not optimistic, I am always hopeful. So Martin, I close, if not with optimism, with hope. Bishop White expresses his disappointment with the churches, what he calls the near silence of the churches in the recent racial discourse. And this is why we mark the holiday today. I have never before served a church for whom the celebration of the Sunday of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend was so important. A church who wanted this observance to be intentionally highlighted in our worship and congregational life. So it has been a growing edge for me in these years here. But I like what one church leader named Brad Bear says. He says, this holiday should be a big deal for churches. In my opinion, outside of Christmas and Easter, no other holiday represents the heart of God so much. Isn't that exactly right? Outside of Christmas and Easter, no other holiday represents the heart of God so much. Yes, the God who calls us to justice, the God who has a particular heart for the oppressed, cares about racial justice in America. No other holiday represents the heart of God 
so much as our observance of this Martin Luther King Day weekend. Bishop White expressed his disappointment with the church. Martin Luther King Jr. also expressed his disappointment with the church in his day. And this is the other reason why our observance here matters. We want to be a church who would not disappoint Martin Luther King Jr. We want to be a church that, who would not disappoint Bishop White. A recent poll revealed a very disturbing truth about the perspective of white Christians on racism in America. I quote now from Jim Wallace of Sojourners. A recent Public Religion Research Institute survey has revealed a devastating truth. While about 80% of black Christians believe police-involved killings, like the ones that killed Tamir Rice, Laquan McDonald, and so many more, are a part of a larger pattern of police treatment of African Americans, around 70% of white Christians believe the opposite, that they are simply isolated events. And before many of us begin dis disassociating with the term white Christians, we should look deeper. The numbers include 72% of white evangelical Protestants, 71% of white Catholics, and 73% of white mainline Protestants. This is about all white Christians. What's worse, take away the moniker of Christian and the numbers drop to around 65%. White Christians are, as a whole, less likely to believe the experience of black Americans than non-Christian whites. This is a shameful indictment of the church. We need to change this, and we can. It's time for white Christians to act more Christian than white. That's from Jim Wallace. Martin Luther King Jr. cared about many justice issues, worked on many justice issues. Racial justice was not the only issue he cared about, and we too care about many justice issues. But as a predominantly white church in a predominantly white community, it is important that at times we focus explicitly on racial justice. Almost as if predicting Bishop White's disappointment and the survey results about white Christians, Martin Luther King Jr. had strong words for the churches on more than one occasion. Here, he calls us to work for justice. The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and critic of the state and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. If the church does not participate actively in the struggle for peace and for economic and racial justice, it will forfeit the loyalty of millions and cause men everywhere to say that it has atrophied its will. But if the church will free itself from the shackles of a deadening status quo, 
and recovering its great historic mission, will speak and act fearlessly and insistently in terms of justice and peace, it will enkindle the imagination of mankind and fire the souls of men, imbuing them with a glowing and ardent love for truth, justice, and peace. Men far and near will know the church as a great fellowship of love that provides light and bread for lonely travelers at midnight. I kept his original language, but I am sure that if he were speaking today, he would have said men and women. We have work to do. I do not want us to be complacent or self-congratulatory. I myself am really bothered that I have not felt able to give the time and focus to issues of racial justice that I would want to. That is much on my mind and an area where I intend to do better in the coming months. So I don't want us to be complacent or self-congratulatory. But along with Bishop White, I have hope. And one thing that contributes to my hope is the attention this church gives these issues. From the studies that Susie and Carol mentioned as they uh, talked about past studies in the context of their upcoming study, to our hosting of the documentary, The Cooler Bandits, and some of the men featured in the film, with its examination of uh, racial injustice in the criminal justice system. We, we do attend to these issues. When our youth group traveled to Mississippi this summer on their mission trip, they also studied the roots in that area of the civil rights movement and racial injustice there today. And everyone who has been engaged in these studies knows and says often that study is not enough, that we also feel called to action. And folks are working on ways to be engaged in action. In the words of William Sloan Coffin, we can be persistent whether or not we are optimistic. To repeat a phrase from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., We've got some difficult days ahead. We do, as a nation and as people who care about justice. But along with Moses and along with Martin Luther King Jr., we catch sight of the promised land. We don't get to enter it. Justice will not be achieved in our lifetime. But we have a picture of what God intends for us. We glimpse the picture in the heart of God of who and how we can be as a human community. And so we mark this day as Christians hoping to find ourselves in the body of those who continue the work of Martin Luther King in our day, work that represents the heart of God. Amen.